Amen. You may be seated. Um, probably in your bulletin or along with it, you'll receive something like this. It says, how to study the Bible on top, but it has the scriptures of the day in there. And so that's an easy reference for you. So you don't have to be flipping through, uh, through the scriptures, through, through your Bible to find them. Um, much of the time, the lectionary, and, and you may not know this if you uh, haven't been here that much, but when we read four scriptures on Sunday, generally we're using what's been recommended. Uh, we have, uh, uh, it's called the lectionary, and for every Sunday and every feast day that we get together, already pre-planned, there have been three years' worth of readings that have been assigned. Uh, years A, B, and C, and we rotate through those. We're in the end of year B right now. and uh, But these scriptures were picked years ago that happened to fall on this Sunday. Generally, when you, when you read the scriptures, there's a common theme that's in them. And uh, there may be several, but, but very often the Lord will highlight a common theme as you go through it. And, and uh, whoever's preaching is studying for the Sunday, and, and that makes it easy to, uh, to know, hey, this is what we're going to talk about. This Sunday was not one of those. <laughs> I couldn't find a common theme. I studied for days. Y'all may have it. If you do, let me know later. But, <laughs> but I couldn't find one this time. Uh, these four scriptures... They're, they're, you know, they, they didn't fit together very easily. What I had thought to do was to take each one of them separately, as long as time allows, and to look at them and what each one says. And so I thought I'd share with you my rule of thumb in, in doing some Bible study. It may help you do your own Bible study as you're uh, out during the week. And so I put these four questions on top, um, I use these whether I'm just taking some quiet time, just me and God, and I want to get in, into the Scriptures a little bit. I'll ask these questions as I'm reading through a passage. These are questions that I ask when I'm preparing a sermon. I'll read through the Scriptures and ask these questions, and I found them helpful, and I hope that you do too. So when you read a passage, uh, ask these four questions. The first one is, what does it say? Just can you in your own words tell somebody else just what's said? You don't have to make commentary on it. You don't have to figure out the, the theme in it or the application of it. But can you just tell what happened? What happened in here? Put in your own words. In other words, it's, it's, it's just a way of looking into it and making sure I just understand just what was said. I don't need to know why it was said yet. But just what was said. And the second question that I ask is, okay, now that I know what it says, what does that mean? What did it mean to the people that originally heard it? Because the scriptures were written over a period of, of 1,500, 1,600 years to different groups of people. Forty different authors wrote these things. Some are letters, some are poetry, some are history, some are insight and commentary. You know, so who was writing? What were they saying? What did it mean? At the time, what was the import at the time? The third question is, why does it matter? 
And what you're trying to do is, is uncover there's probably some sort of a timeless principle in there that once we understand what was said and why it was said to whoever it was said to, there's some things in there that it could have been said to us. What are those things? Why, why does this matter today, even though it may have been said 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago? You know, why does it matter today? Because it probably does. And then fourth question is, what do I do about it? I'm, I'm not just studying this so that my brain gets bigger. God wants me to know something so that I know him better. I follow him more closely. I'm, I'm less encumbered by the things that weigh me down. I'm get, there's, what do I do? What will change in my life? How do I apply it to my everyday life? So let's take this passage from Isaiah kind of as an example of that. And I'm, I'll start walking this through. I may have some questions for you as we go through it. So in this passage from Isaiah 59, you know, the first question, what does it say? In your own words, how would you answer that question? What does it say? I'll tell you how I, how I answer that, okay? Um, I answer that, that, that Isaiah is looking at the society around him and realizing how far from God they've gone. That, that society is degraded. You know, verse 9 says that uh, justice is far from us. Righteousness doesn't reach us. We look for light, but it's all dark. You know, they, they can't even find their way. And so he's looking at, at, at this group of people, this country that he lives in, and the people in this country, they don't even know where they're going. They, they grope about like they're blind. Nobody's righteous. Verse 11, you know, we growl like bears and mourn, mourn like doves. And it's like the, he's, he's saying, in a lot of ways, we're, just, we're no better off than the animals are. Um, there's no justice. There's no deliverance. There, there's no sense of right and wrong. Uh, it, it, verse 15, if anybody doesn't do evil, then they're attacked. How would you like to live in that society, right? If anybody doesn't do evil, they're attacked. Wow. Wow. This is a harsh place to be. Verse 15, God is well aware of it. God knows, Isaiah recognizes, that there's no justice and God doesn't like it. In fact, he's about to intervene. Verses 17 and 18 say God is, is ready to intervene and give people what they deserve. Verse 20, and if you read, there's one more verse in the chapter. You probably should have read it. But God makes a promise that he's going to send a redeemer. And that if people repent, that they will, they'll be protected. That God has made promises because of this Redeemer, so that everybody who repents, not only will, will they 
be saved, be protected, but so will their children and grandchildren. And God's very presence will be with them. So that's what it says. Now, now what does it mean? You know, what's, what did it mean to the people at the time? Well, obviously, first of all, it's, it's a call to, to all the people that are around him that Isaiah is talking to. And Isaiah, Isaiah was just a, a person in a lot of ways like you and I, but God gave him messages and said, hey, I want you to tell people this. I want you to kind of hold up a mirror to the people of Israel, to this country. Show them who they are. Call, them, call upon them to change because they don't want to face what's coming if they don't. And, and so Isaiah is, is all about telling the people, hey, this is how far you've slid. And, it's, and you need to turn around. Come back to God. Otherwise, there's a price to pay. It was confronting all those who were doing wrong in, in God's eyes. It was encouraging to those who were trying to do right. To those who repented, they, they had a hope. To those that didn't, they wouldn't have much of a future. That's what it meant at the time. What does it mean? That's what it meant. This was an opportunity for them to change the direction of their country and how God dealt with them. So why does it matter to us? What does it reveal? What are the timeless principles that, that God was revealing to them at the time that still matter today? And so I'm going to throw that open and see if anybody wants to, to, to respond to that. What's, what's one of the timeless principles that you see uncovered in that? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so if you're listening online or you didn't hear her here in the room, she's saying that when she reads things that are that are from the Old Testament, that very often she sees, you know, this this pattern uh, emerging. It's, it's a common pattern of people, uh, a, a people that falls away from God and then then comes back and, and falls away again. And there's nothing new under the sun. So it can very well apply to us today in any other principles that you see in this? Yes, ma'am. So, so she's seen a comparison um, with today uh, in a lack of justice. You know, for instance, the the taking of human life. Get it's it, we treat it lightly at times today, and so she sees a comparison in that, and that God wouldn't be happy with that lack of of justice. Um, 
there, here, here's some of what I came up with. Now, you, you've probably come up with some other things. Some of you may have come up with some similar things, some different. But this is where God starts to speak to you. Okay? This is who God is. One of these timeless principles is this reveals who God is. That God is a God that cares enough even about a, a society that's turned so far from him that he's willing to call them back, to engage with them, to say, come back to me. And that should be encouraging to us. That should be encouraging to us on, on a, when we consider a national level or a worldwide level, that God is a God who comes near in the messes that we put ourselves in in order to call us to come back. God is not a God who stands far away and gets mad and sends lightning bolts. God is a God who comes near and says, come to me. So if you feel far from God, if you, even if you look at your life and say, man, God must not be happy with me. I'm so embarrassed because of, you know, what's been going on in my life. Know that God is not a God that's standing far away with his finger pointed at you, ready to stomp on you. God is a God who's coming close to you and saying, come to me. Return to me. Here's another principle. There are consequences for your actions. There are consequences. He's talking right now about a whole society. There are consequences for the way a society acts. There are consequences for the way you act. He's talking to a society, but it, you know you could apply it in both ways. That's why it matters. You can't get away with it forever. You might get away with it for a while, but you don't get away with it forever. And at some point, you got to face it. On a personal level, are there things that you need to face that God wants to come close to? On a national level or a worldwide level, are there things that, that we need to face the fact that there are consequences? And God is telling us what to do. Uh, here's another principle. Repentance is good. Changing your ways matters to God. It's it's not just what goes on in your head. It's what goes on in your actions. It matters to God. It changes destinies when you come close to Him. That's the principle that applies. So what do you do about it? Boy, how many people do we have in here? You know, 175 people. They're... There are probably 175 different things to do. I don't know how this applies to you. We can probably all agree that, that when we look at our country, there are some things that we can come together in prayer about, repent of on behalf of our country. It's part of what Isaiah was doing. And it matters. It matters. Uh, change my ways where I need to. Trust that God is good. Find out what God expects of me. Find out what God expects of our country and start leaning into that.
It matters. Okay? Um, when I consider, uh, you, you probably know what happened in Pittsburgh over the weekend, yesterday. Uh, somebody goes into a synagogue to kill Jews just because they're Jews. And there are 11 dead and six that are wounded. Beyond that, 17 people. And it's, it's an awful thing. And we see more and more of that kind of stuff in our country. I think God wants us to repent. And if it doesn't start with people that know him, I'm not saying you pulled a trigger, but if we don't start an act of repentance, how can we expect anybody else to? That's one of the applications of it. We've got to come before God. Accept some responsibility and seek to change our ways to try and keep these kind of things from happening. It matters. We've got to pray over it. All right, the next passage is the one in Psalms. It's a, it's a very short six-verse psalm. It was, it was a song... When you hear P-S-A-L-M, think S-O-N-G. It was, this is something that was sung. This is their, their hymn book. It was written by David. And, and the first four verses, when you look at the question, what does it say? The first four verses that, are, that David writes, they're, they're not real uplifting, are they? But we all sing this at times, don't we? I think we can identify from him. David is despairing. David is sorrowful. And he's, he, he feels like he's about to get overwhelmed and beaten, maybe in battle. Like, like he's facing battles and the enemy is too strong and things aren't going well. And, and here, David seems to be alone in his thoughts. How, verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? This is just overwhelming. You ever had those things that overwhelm you? And, and you just, you can't get your mind off of it. You know what I'm talking about? You been there? That's David. How, every day I have sorrow in my heart. And at the end of it, the last two verses, he makes a, a, a choice to trust God. He says, it, it, you know, he's talking about his enemies overcoming him, his enemies gloating, and he can't quit thinking about it, and he's sorrowful, and he's just overwhelmed by the whole thing. In verse 5 he says, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Now what... What changed in David's circumstance so that he said that? Huh? His focus. Did anything change in his circumstances? Nothing. He doesn't say, wow, I, I, I complained to God and I looked up and I saw angels just beating everything, beating them back. He, no, nothing changed in his circumstances, but his focus changes. This is in the what does it mean 
part of it. What is it? What did it mean to David? What What did the other people that David was sharing this song that he wrote with? What was it saying to them? Um, here's the question for you: What enabled David to give those two verses, the, the verse five and six? I will sing. I trust in your unfailing love. What enabled David to say that? Did he just make it up? His relationship with the Lord, which means his experience. His experience of what he has seen before this is probably what gave him the assurance to say it now. He knows enough about God to know that God won't leave him there. That even though it looks awful, even though he's overwhelmed, even though he doesn't see a way out, because of what he's seen in the past, God does. God won't let me die in this. It's his experience. It's what he knows about God. Sometimes... Here's where it gets into, um, why, why does it matter? What's that timeless principle? Sometimes that's all you have, is your experience that you, of, of what God has already done in your life. Do any of you keep a record, a diary, a, uh, uh, a journal, uh, uh, a list of prayers that God answers? Do any of you keep one of those? A few of you? I've done it at times, most of the time I haven't, but every so often I do that, right? How good is it to be able to go back to those things, those of you who've done it, in times when you feel like David feels in this? And you read back over what God has done in your life, what you've seen him do. can. It can lift you up. I, I, I encourage you, I should probably be encouraging me to, to write those things down because to be able to go back and, and like you said, it, it works against holy amnesia to go back and recognize, you know what, God has done this in, in my history. God has done this in other people's history. I know about these things and it encourages us. It helps to Put our trust back where our trust needs to be. So that's something that we can do, right? It doesn't just matter what's going on in your head, what's coming out in your life. So some of you need to start writing down those things that God does so that you can go back and review it. Some of you need to go back and review the things that God has done in your life or in somebody else's. Let's do, uh, let's do one more. I don't think we have time to do all four of these. But uh, we'll take the shorter one. Let's go to the gospel 
on the back page, Mark 10. It's a familiar story for a lot of you that, that have spent time in church. So, what happens? What does it say? Don't, don't teach from it. Don't you teach me right now. But what does it say? Put in your own words. You're teaching. What does it say? What happens? What happened in this little paragraph? And then blind man follows Jesus because he's no longer blind. That's what happens, right? That's what it says. All right. What did it mean? What did it mean? And you're applying it some already, so you're 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 stepping ahead a little bit. But at the time, what did it reveal? You know it, that even though there were people that were telling the blind man to hush, he kept on. He got louder. He was persistent. He knew who it was. He knew who it was. Son of David, what did that mean at the time? <coughs> who did they expect? The Messiah, the King. You know, if you're a son of David, you're in that kingly line. You, you might be, you know, you might get the crown on your head. And that's who we thought Jesus was. And, and did Jesus get onto him for that? No. But when he asked, Jesus did, right? Um, here's a here's a question for you. Um, under what it what it means, here's here's something that falls under the category of what does it mean? His name was Bartimaeus. What does Bar mean? Son of Timaeus. The unclean. Or it can mean blind. So, so this man was the son of someone who was unclean. That was probably a leper. Or the son of somebody who was blind. What did it mean at the time if you had that challenge in your life? You're blind. You have leprosy. What does it mean to them? What? You're an outcast. Because it's whose fault? Your fault, right? That's how they looked at the world. You know, the, these people, I don't know what they did. Somebody sinned. You know, the dad sinned. His dad sinned. Somebody sinned. That's why this is happening. When bad things happen, it was your fault. And people wouldn't come close to you because you didn't deserve it. And they were scared they might catch it. And what does Jesus do? He comes close, doesn't he? Here's, here's something else. Um, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Now, I want to ask you a question because you all are smart people. And I'm about to draw a very thin line here. Was it because the man knew Jesus could in his head? 
or was it because the man did something about it? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He did something about it. Now, pretend for a moment. Just pretend for a moment. What if Bartimaeus hadn't called out? What if he just sat there and he said, oh, it's Jesus. He's the son of David. I'm sure he can, he can do something for me. So I'm going to be quiet. Do you think he would have gotten healed? No. Because faith, when you read faith, read faithfulness, which implies and reminds you that, that your beliefs have to be connected to your actions. It's not just what goes on in your head. It's what goes on in your life. That his persistence in calling for Jesus when they were telling him, be quiet, hush, you you deserve this, don't bother him. And he persisted. He was faithful. That's when Jesus heard it and did something about it. Okay, so that's part of what does it mean? Why does it matter? What, what's the timeless principle that can apply to us? Ask and keep on asking and you, you receive. What else? What? Jesus sees, knows, and cares. What, whatever's going on with you that maybe nobody else knows, Jesus knows. He cares. He cares. What else? What other timeless principles do you see there? Sometimes when we pray, our faith is weak, and we, in our minds, we don't absolutely believe that it's going to happen. We don't have. Okay, she she said. Sometimes when we pray, we don't absolutely believe it can happen. Our faith is incomplete. But remember, faith. Is connected to what you do. You don't have to be thoroughly convinced and have no question about it in your head. That's not what what counts. What counts is what do you do with the little bit that you have? Put it in action. It matters. It matters. If even if you here's another one. Even if you believe that it's your fault. Even if you believe, I was born this way, my family's always been this way, and I know God isn't happy with that, should that stop you from coming to... No, don't let it stop you. Don't let it stop you. Any other principles that you see in there? Keep looking to Christ. Don't put your head down no matter the circumstances. No matter what the naysayers say. You'll never get that done. Oh, you just need to be quiet and go sit back and keep on doing what you do. You know, don't bother God about those things. Oh, no. God is full of mercy. Come close. And He comes close to you, right? Here's another principle. Your history does not predict your future where Jesus is concerned. Some of you need to hear that this morning. What do you do about it? Pray. Don't give up praying. Does he hear 
He hears you. He heard Bartimaeus. He'll hear you. Keep on. Yes. Yeah, that's a great application. She she said two things. One was, if you're desperate, don't let other people hush you up. The, and, and the second, you know, keep crying out. And the second one is, we're, we're the body of Christ here. If somebody in our midst is desperate, don't tell them to hush up. Help them out. Come along beside them. Both are great, great things. Great applications. All right. So So now, you know, that's... It's just a very simple way to look at scriptures, and I encourage you. When, when you get alone with God, or if you're preparing a sermon, or leading a Bible study, or, or you just want to learn more about Him, read it and ask, what does it say? Because you've got to know what it says. Don't, don't overanalyze this. This is very simple. Can you tell the story? Then what does it mean? What did it mean to them? Third, why does it matter today? What's that principle? Fourth, what do I do about it? It's a great way to do it. Great way to do it. So uh, I know it's not the only way. Some of you have better ways. But that's a way. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, it's my hope that in this, you've spoken to some people that need to hear. And that we'll receive it. You know, these little things that that were said that you highlighted somehow. Lord, I pray that those things will have its work in us. And that we'll trust you and follow you more with those things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.